Welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I am your host, Coach Andrew Simmons. I'm joined by the wonderful and amazing Lexi Miller. And today we're actually re-recording an episode. Uh, It got lost to the wonderful world of technological demons. Um, It was partially recorded, the file corrupted, things happened, frustrations occurred. So today we're actually getting a chance to sit down with Yuri Carlson. Um, And this is one that I was, I thought our first episode was good, but this one kind of blew it out of the water for me. And as you know, when we put up a nutrition episode, it always goes bonkers. Yeah. That's why I lost the first file. You, oh yeah. (laughs) Because he was like, it wasn't quite good enough. Yeah. I just knew, I just knew you guys could like really step it up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we did. This was actually one that, um, and, and I feel like maybe I've been doing this in all the episodes, but I feel like I've been walking away lately going like, this one was good. I feel like we really like got some good content out there for you guys. Um, but I felt like I've been trying to listen to my clients, uh, as I always do, but more so about like, what are the questions that are being asked of me? And one of the things that always comes up, especially when I'm talking to somebody, maybe it's the first time I'm talking to them and we're just kind of going through that client interaction phase. They're like, well, I need help with my nutrition, right? Like it is the, it is, it's a frustrating place to be as a coach because, I know that I have to stay my lane and I'm like, I know what I'm good. I know I'm great at programming. I know I'm good, really good at communication and I know that we can get results. I'm not a nutritionist. I am not a registered dietitian. Like I can't tell you to have this many grams of protein and this and that. And it's like, if I did do all of those things, it would cost an obscene amount per month. It would be, that would be so much work. And Here's the thing for me is that when I look at nutrition and, and maybe someone's going to, you know, bark me up about this one, but I feel like nutrition is like a class in a sense. Like when you pay for a nutritionist, they're giving you skills to understand how to manage a situation, especially someone like Yuri. Like Yuri has a program that she works through and the whole goal of that is to give you the tools so that you can walk away from that knowing how to handle your 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 performance level nutrition not just here's how i look at food but like how do you eat for performance and how do we view that and how do we change your life doing that and it feels like that's something that if you pay for it once relatively speaking you have those skills now you've gained a set of skills so that it's not like coaching where it shifts and changes and your goals are different this teaches you strategies of how to eat and i feel like that's the value like yes you're going to pay a good chunk of money for good nutritionist, but it's going to be worth it. Right. And I think everyone's so different, which is the other hard thing. Yeah. Like, because it'd be so easy. And that's something we run into as coaches, right? Like that's also why people hire a coach for training is because everyone's so different and has different time in their life and resources. And food is like that as well. You might have different preferences or restrictions. Yeah. You might be like needing different things for your training. And you can't just like look on a blog and be like, oh, cool. Well, this really fast runner is plant-based and eats this amount. So I will just imitate whatever they do because that's not going to work for your body. Yeah. And there was just a really interesting article that came out about how ketogenics play into the role of female athletes and how it's a really undesirable state for most, you know, female athletes. And so stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't disagree. You know, I'll have some people on here that'll be like, "Oh, I'm fat adapted," and I'll go, "Cool." Like if it some people are, and that's cool. If it works for you, it works, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. Is like, you have to find the thing that works for you. And I think that it's if you're gonna 
if you're going to pay to have a coach to find them and create a plan that works for you, why would you not do the same thing for your nutrition? And this is where like so many people get wrapped up in the rules that they made up or heard. And it's like, you have selective listening when it comes to nutrition about like, oh, well, I, I know that I can't eat oils. You know, I shouldn't eat, you know, these oils specifically, or like I, when it comes to carbohydrates, I can only have this much or these kinds or, you know, and so you, you end up creating this like rule set for yourself that you're, it's a prison cell you can find yourself to. And you may, and, and you have the body type or whatever it is that you have because you've confined yourself in a sense. And so in this episode with Yuri, we kind of tackled a lot of those things. And I, I think take a couple hot takes. I won't lie. But my favorite part of this whole episode is our discussion over what we call the Italian breakfast strategy when it comes to racing nutrition, and especially um, not just pre-race, but pre-run nutrition. And uh, I won't give it away because I want them to, of mm-hmm. course, listen to the episode, but it involves eating things that you actually enjoy. It's a really crazy thought that maybe if you put a piece of banana bread or something that in your pack when you're out for a really long day or even your short or medium day workout, that if you had a piece of food in there that you were looking forward to, wouldn't you probably get a little bit more enjoyment out of that nutrition? I would I would like to think that most people aren't like, mm, I can't wait to put down a goo. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love shot blocks. Like if I could, I, I would eat them as candy because mm-hmm. they're basically candy. They basically are. But when we think of real food nutrition, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what we talk about in this episode, like that I feel is where the, the gold is, especially when we start thinking of races beyond the marathon. Yeah. Uh, just to throw out my unsolicited advice that I know everyone cares deeply about. I've been following the, uh, the toddler uh, fueling method, which is I make uh, goose or whatever little packets of food for my kid. Yeah. And then I just make a version for myself that has a little bit more fat, a little bit more salt. And that's my little packet too. So he has one with sweet potato beans and spinach. And I have one with sweet potato beans, butter and salt and uh, two, two meals for yeah. one effort. And, uh, it's delicious and easy. And if you're already blending up food for a baby or toddler, it's a perfect, save some time. Absolutely. And, and I think that's really like, I I know a little bit of that is tongue in cheek, but that's true, man. But the reality is, is like, if you go and look at, and one of the books that she recommends in this is uh, scratch labs, the portables book, Mm -hmm. it's one of our favorite highly recommended book. It's like actual rice and bacon and like, and good for, because sometimes especially in ultras, you just can't get down real food. Like you got to do it early. Yeah. It's another big strategy. And it's just like, if you can have it blended, so you're not just having gels and all that, all that ickiness that tends to go a little sour. Yeah. Like if you can blend up your real food ahead of time, get used to it and have that as a backup, because sometimes putting down that sweet potato or that rice ball or that eggy bite, is just not even at mile 10 is not going to happen. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to chew anymore, yeah. you know? And so being able to make sure that you're getting in real food uh, is, is super important. So that that's that's really what we talk a lot and dive mm-hmm. deep into this. So if you're looking for an episode that's all about food and getting giving yourself some strategies as well as, you know, learning more about, um, you know, Yuri's business, Inner Wild Nutrition, like that's, that's his whole episode. And I think she does a great job. I will highly recommend uh, you guys check her out on Instagram. Uh, and hey, check us out on Instagram too. I will I, I, I will do some shameless self-promoting right now. Uh, defining endurance on Instagram, lifelong endurance on Instagram. 
I'm at Coach Simmons Runs, which seems to get a lot of people making fun of it lately. And yours is Coach Lexi Lifelong Endurance. It's very long. If you just search Lifelong Endurance, it's the second. If you look Lexi Miller, I think there's I'm the one that looks like a runner. It's there's true. also a soccer player and a lacrosse player. Those aren't me. That's not you. That's not me. Um, so give us a follow. We try to put out stuff that you guys are actually going to be able to use and enjoy uh, throughout the week. But uh, Yuri does an amazing job of giving and answering questions. He does some great Q&As. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, guys, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance, and my guest today is Yuri Carlson. Um, really excited to have Yuri on uh, to give you guys a little bit of background. This may not be the first time we've tried to do this. Uh, we actually tried to record an episode earlier this year, um, and it got lost in the magical ether of podcasts. Uh, so really excited to actually have Yuri back on. I think one of the biggest requests that we get um, you know, from our podcast community day in and day out is like, let's keep talking about nutrition. There's so much we can cover. Um, and being able to bring Yuri on, uh, is a, is a real big treat. So I'm going to let her kind of give a little introduction about what she's done and what she's currently up to. So Yuri, thank you so much for popping on with me today again. Absolutely. It's nice to be here again. Thanks for having me. So do you want me to start, gosh, with kind of like how I got into this and, and and now where I'm at today? Does that sound good? That sounds great. I think, um, you know, I, I always see you out biking. You're uh, you're actually here in Colorado, out in Breckenridge. And yeah. so uh, I'm I'm sure that there's there's a story about a bike somewhere in that uh, in that arc of you uh, as an athlete finding your way into nutrition. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, that is really the impetus for me getting into nutrition, I would say. Um you know, I grew up kind of like the standard East Coast athlete. I, I grew up in Vermont and I played lacrosse. I played soccer. I was on a snowboard team. I was competitive in snowboarding growing up in high school and traveled ar around the country doing that. And then I didn't actually find biking until I moved to Colorado and I went on my first bike ride and I was like, holy cow, why haven't I been doing this? You know, I was always a trail runner, always just kind of doing anything and everything out here in Breck. But once I found biking, it was really like, this is my happy place. And with my friends, regardless of if we were running or riding, we were just always having conversations about nutrition. You know, like sometimes we'd go out on a run and we'd feel awesome. Sometimes we'd go and do a bike race and we'd feel horrible. And we didn't know why or how to fix it or what was going on. So that brought me to be like, hey, if I can make this a career for myself and study nutrition and make it helpful for me and my friends and also helpful for my job and creating a career for other people, then that's the dream right there, you know? So that's really why I, I went and studied nutrition and I and I chose Bastyr University, which is a school up in Seattle to go to school because they have a very whole foods approach to nutrition where it's not clinical based, but it's very much based on the whole person and, you know, gosh, naturopathic side of things, 
holistic side of things, Chinese herbal medicine side of things, they have all those programs there. So it just made sense that out of all the places I was going to end up, I was going to be there. So that's where I built my nutrition really philosophy off of. Yeah. And I think, uh, for those that are, you know, listening, I highly, highly encourage you guys to pop over on Instagram. Normally we leave the Instagram side of things, uh, to the back end of things, but where can you be found real quick on Instagram? Cause I know our listeners are going to catch this early. Yeah. So go to Yuri, U-R-I underscore Carlson. And there's tons of information on my Instagram. I've got reels, I've got guides, I've got all sorts of good stuff in the highlights there. So definitely take some time to look at Instagram page. It's meant to be helpful and learning and just a good place for people to find some really good starter information. Yeah. I think, uh, when we originally tried to record this episode, we had, we had discussed some, uh, I believe there were some sort of chocolate covered ball of sorts that were apparently <laughs> very delicious that, so, uh, when we repost this, we'll make sure that we, you, you post that recipe as well, because I think that was, uh, that was a big hit back then. We're going to, we're going to bring it back. We promise. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your company is inner wild nutrition. Um, and you being a registered dietitian and nutritionist, I think you take a little bit of a different approach and it's not just you sitting down talking with somebody and saying, here's your meal plan. Here's, you know, this many macros of protein and this many, you know, of carbs. It's not as succinct as just here's your meal plan. Ta-da. I will I'll catch you later. Good mm-hmm. luck. How do you how do you operate with people now and how do you view nutrition and the relationship with food? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I don't do the planning stuff like that and the specifics because I found that giving people a plan, you know, hey, let me look at your Training Peaks account. Let me base, build a plan based on that for you. Life doesn't always go to plan. So sure enough, you're going to be trying to follow this thing and then life doesn't go to plan and you're like, what the heck am I supposed to do? And then you're going to get stressed about it and you're going to burn out and you're going to just go back to what you were doing before. So my whole approach is with all of my clients, I'm teaching them the why behind everything, you know, like, why are we eating X, Y, and Z before our heart interval set versus why are we eating X, Y, and Z before our three hour effort? What's the difference here? Or how am I recovering from a strength workout versus a cardio workout and all that kind of stuff. So that then everyone who's getting that information, they can take it and they can say, okay, this is my plan. This is plan A, but when life doesn't go to plan, I know the why behind this. So I can choose the next best option and that's okay too. So it's very much a step away from like the all or nothing to understanding the science, having the knowledge around like what your needs are and understanding that you have changing needs based on the day, based on your training plan, based on what the weather is outside and what kind of workout you get to get in. And then you can sort of adapt from there and make it work for you long term instead of having to rely on this super strict plan that you have to subscribe to every two weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that really impressed me is, you know, when we talked about nutrition and we just kind of sat down to kind of talk about having you come on the podcast, I think one of the things that I would say is that if there was an adage that I could use is that you'd rather teach people to fish. Uh, when it comes to nutrition and, and teach them the understanding of like, you know, you can give someone, you know, a basic off the shelf meal plan. And again, if 
if things go sideways even a little bit, they don't know how to respond. And so they're going to default to their next best habit. And I think that's where I want to dive into is like when it comes to creating habits, especially with food, you know, where do people get stuck? What do you find in your work is, is, is important when it comes to creating good habits? Yeah. Okay. So people get stuck feeling like it's all or nothing. Like they have to be perfect or they have to like totally give up. Whereas what I tell people is like, hey, you have this baseline. And if you can do really well consistently with a baseline, then the stuff here and there that happens, like the vacations or the meal out with friends when you're just like, yes, I'm going to get a burger and fries and have a milkshake. Those opportunities are things that you should absolutely be able to fit into your life, but not have them derail everything else because you've got a super solid baseline. And and with that, like that is, there's so much mindset here of reframing habits and ways of doing things that it's not just about the nutrition. It's also about the mindset. So when I'm working with people with creating like these long-term habits, I always tell people like, we're in this for the long game, you know, like we are working together so we can change your life. So we're making small changes over this extended period of time to make it you know, cemented into your new habits instead of having you do a complete 180 starting tomorrow and then burning out in two weeks because you're like, Yuri, this is way too much. I can't handle this. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really hard is that, you know, whether, you know, my, my world is a coach, your world, and I'll use, I'll use the word coach here mm-hmm. um, because we are, we're both coaching people to either change a behavior or to subscribe to, um, you know, some sort of, and I'll use the word system, um, like there is a process by which, you know, we are both accomplishing, whether that's results in a physical way or, you know, the, the changing of physiology, it's always hard. But the number one thing that comes back to, uh, I guess, what gets results is consistency, right? We can't, we can't beat out consistency. And so I wanted to kind of understand is that when, what what is that first thing that you have to teach people how to do? And when I say how to do, what I'm specifically speaking to is is it removing guilt when they when they miss a day? Is it, you know, teaching them just the the first habits? Where do you feel like you you have to start with most people when it comes to reframing food for people? I know this is a tough one. Yeah. Ah, so many people come in with all these beliefs and a lot of confusion around, you know, like just crazy rules or do's and don'ts that they've heard. And I think one of the big things with that is busting those myths for them and helping them reframe and understand that that stuff doesn't apply to them because they're an individual. So, man, like I was just talking with somebody earlier today and like, they were saying how they're stuck in this place where they feel like they've always been like on these extreme diets in order to lose weight. And they thought that if they were running more, they would lose weight because they were eating less at the same time. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the, the way that we've been brainwashed to think that if I'm eating less, I'm going to weigh less. But this is a perfect example of like, we've got to reframe these beliefs to understand that, hey, when you're eating less and also trying to train more to lose weight or to get faster or more fit, your body doesn't have what it needs. So your metabolism is going to tank. 
and you're actually going to be super inefficient at using fuel food for fuel and you're going to start storing it more likely as fat and so you're typically and often not going to actually lose weight it's actually when you start eating enough calories to meet your needs that your metabolism actually gets to where it needs to be and the food that you consume is used for energy instead of being stored for fat so with so many people the first thing we need to do is we need to break down those myths and help them understand that hey like that doesn't apply to you at all this is you are an individual and all that information out there is talking to the masses so it doesn't really speak to anyone yeah i think that's such a a hard a hard lesson for people to learn right because there's this there's got to be this understanding that okay if i'm I'm working out because I want to lose weight. So how in the world can I eat more, work out and lose weight? Like that triangle is just broken for people in their brain. Right. And so when we speak to that, what you're really saying, and and again, this is where like, please correct me because I'm not the registered dietitian in the room. Um, you know, how does that work that how are we able to, change and adjust our metabolism, right? We talked about a piece of this being consistency, but from a physiological standpoint, how, how does that work? Do we, is it quote unquote training our body to burn more fat as fuel, thus resulting in us burning more fat? What is the, what is the science that we work with here? Because right, if it should just be calories in calories out, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I eat less, work out more then net is, you know, less. So weight loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so bring me up to speed with how, how does an athlete, someone that is going to be training four or five days a week, that is maybe they've got a marathon goal or something else. How do, how does help me do the math here and, and kind of explain, and again, make it sixth grade physiology for me. Mm -hmm. Um, how do, how do we change that metabolism piece? Yeah. So this is where it becomes, yeah, it's not just about calories in calories out because what your, our body is a lot smarter than that basically. So if it, if it were about calories in calories out, yes, you would lose weight. But if you're expending a certain amount of calories and you're eating less than that, and you're not giving your body what it needs, then your metabolism goes from that baseline functioning and it decreases because it's in survival mode. And it's sort of like, Hey, I'm not getting the calories I need. So the calories that you give me, I need to store as fuel and fat because I'm trying to survive here. And I'm not going to be super efficient or effective about burning it as energy. And so that usually translates to, oh my God, I'm restricting calories. I feel like taking a nap every afternoon. I've got these energy slumps. Maybe you're not sleeping very well. You've probably got cravings and all that kind of stuff. Whereas If you're exercising and you're eating enough to fuel your exercise, you don't have to, you know, replace 100% of the calories that you're burning with exercise, but you want to get enough so that you're above that baseline of you're basically stoking the fire that is your metabolism so that your metabolism says, oh yeah, like I'm getting the baseline calories I need. And instead of storing the extra or the baseline even, for fat because I need to survive, I'm going to burn it efficiently and I'm going to allow you to feel really good on your runs, feel strong, have gains, you know, like see those PRs, see those results from the training that you're putting in because you're giving your body 
the fuel that it needs to do that. Yeah. And I think everybody, right. Like, you know, how many, how many times, and I'm sure I'll get some nods from the listeners is like, we're always told, well, you know, you wouldn't put crappy fuel in a Ferrari, uh, you know, and all of these kind of mm-hmm. adages that come with, with the nutrition side of things. And I think one of the other myths that I see a lot here, and, and, uh, uh, I think I know the answer, but is there such a thing as a bad food, Yuri? No way. Uh-uh. All, all food is good food. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really love in in just being a watcher on social media is uh, you really encourage people to look at real food as fuel, you know, and not just always looking. And I'm going to hold up some some gels uh, here to to the screen, and you know this. This is this isn't too bad. This is you know a, a chia seed based one, and the first ingredient is grape juice, which isn't awful. Yeah. Um, but this isn't real food. This, uh-huh. isn't, this isn't real food. Uh, it's close. It's sure close. But I think one of the things um, that you shared is like, hey, why not break out a croissant? And maybe it's got a little cheese, or maybe it's got a little Nutella in there. Yeah. And how how can we look at that? Because I think a lot of people one would probably be too afraid to eat a croissant in the middle of a 90 minute or three hour effort. Um, and you know, they, they would rather default to something like this because it feels really safe. It feels really safe to eat something like this. How, how do you approach that? Do you, do you look at these as a last resort when it comes to fueling or is this, is that not a bad place to start? I, I look at them as definitely a part of the options for sure. But the thing that I always like to consider with this is you have to be excited about the food that you're eating during your efforts, especially for those longer efforts. Knowing that when you're out there pushing it hard or out there for long periods of time, like ultra runners and people who are out there for three, four, you know, eight hours, overnights, that kind of stuff, our appetite is suppressed when we're exercising, which means that we have less of a desire to eat food. So I'm, I always go back to, Hey, if you were sitting on the couch, would you be excited about eating that food? Because you have to be excited about eating that food, no matter what you're doing, because your appetite is going to be suppressed when you're exercising. And if you pull out a gel and you're like, Oh my God, I know I need a hundred calories right now, but this is the last thing I want to eat. Then I'm like, all right, would you be excited about eating a cookie? Would you be excited about eating a piece of banana bread? on the couch or when you're running, because that's going to be so much easier to consume and meet your calorie needs. If you're excited about it, as opposed to if you're just like, I have, I'm six gels down and I am like just gagging thinking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've watched, I've watched athletes try to do entire hundred milers on gels alone. Yeah. I've also seen them, you know, Uh, I've seen about 30 of them come up, you know, and that's literally 30 of them, you know, that's it. It's, it is so much of one thing. It's not just the quote unquote, the sugar in the stomach and things like that. Um, and you know, that's, that creates a really hard place because people can find themselves with foods a lot. Um, you know, and they say again, like you, you'd mentioned early on in this is that here are the rules for what I can eat and what I allow myself to eat. And we give ourselves these boundaries, either A, because we've been too scared to venture outside 
of those food rules. Um, and so once we found something that worked, we just stopped and said, this mm -hmm. is it. This is all I'm going to eat forever. Um, and what I have found is that this tends to happen with a lot of my road running athletes or road cyclists is that here's the like list of five things, the square of things that I can eat. And then when they want to try and go longer and go further, that runs out pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and they, they have to start experimenting with foods. And so I wanted to kind of hear from you for those that are out there that are like, Oh, this is me. I I've, I've got my five things I can eat. Um, you know, where, where would you encourage someone to even start when it comes to, to looking at the real food spectrum of things? Like where, what are your like maybe top three, like here are three things to try, uh, when it comes to, you know, expanding into, into more of a, I guess I'll use the word whole foods, um, you know, nutrition. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So three things to try. Well, first of all, I mean, the Scratch Labs portables cookbook is incredible and they have endless ideas for real food options for fueling. I've worked with Scratch Labs since 2012 when they were writing their first speed zone cookbook and have learned more than anywhere else so much about performance nutrition and working with super high level athletes and what learning what types of foods they prefer and what works for them and just so much fascinating information there and yes start with the portables book and get some ideas there and just go off of like anything that gets you excited if you want to go into your local bakery grab a blondie cookie bar or grab a piece of banana bread or zucchini bread or something like that i love zucchini bread and banana bread because it has a high moisture content and it's super, super easy to eat, you know, or, you know, like those two bite muffins that they have in the store and the bakery section, those are amazing because you can tell how many calories, you know, four of them is by looking at the nutrition facts label, which can be super helpful if you're kind of set on a specific calorie goal per hour. But gosh, starting with baked goods like that is typically going to be like a safe bet for everyone. I can already hear like our fans and the gasps of horror, like a bakery <laughs> item as fuel. There's no yes. way this is possible. And, <laughs> and I think a lot of, a lot of people, you know, would look at and say, okay, it has to come from cliff or, you know, insert company name. And that is, that is a performance fuel. And I think, you know, what we have to remember is that the, that real performance fuel actually starts in the kitchen as well. Yeah. And it's, and I, I think one of the big things that, and, and I wanted to cover two other things. And the first one is, is when it comes to eating for performance, you know, we talked, uh, prior to this kind of about where do carbohydrates fit into the game of things. And that if you're an endurance athlete, like carbs kind of trickle their way to the top in terms of the most important part of this, um, whole spectrum of things. And so I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite form of carbohydrate? I'll go first. Mine is rice. What is yours? Oh my gosh. That's such a hard question. Are we talking about like, <laughs> are we talking about meals here? Or are we talking about performance fuel for during an effort? We'll start, we'll start with meals because mine is, mine would be rice. What would yours be? Mine would be, I, I would have to agree with you. Rice in so many ways is just amazing because it's so versatile and there's so many different types of it. You can't get bored of yeah. rice. 
Yeah. And I think that's one real, real big thing here to talk real quick and speaking to rice specifically, are you a brown rice, a white rice, a wild rice? And I know that there are different nutrition profiles and why we would want one versus the other. I really like white rice, but I try to, I try to get like wild rice in my diet when I can, because yeah. I think it's better for me, but I don't actually know. Okay. There's a time and a place for both. I would say for sure. You know, white rice, if you're making a pre-race meal, say you're doing rice and eggs the morning before a race and you're throwing, you know, like an avocado on it, I would do white rice because you need that simple carbohydrate. If you're just eating a meal throughout the week and you need some complex carbohydrates, I would do brown rice. My favorite, one of my favorite rices is short grain brown rice because it's still like a little bit sticky, like white rice, mm. but it's a brown rice. It's a complex carb as opposed to a simple carb like white rice. So it's good for kind of just any meal here and there. And so let's talk simple versus complex here real quick, because I know that some people are like, oh, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. When we talk simple, is that basically the difference between simple and complex being how it's processed and it's more of um, you're out of a complex carbohydrate, you're going to quote unquote burn it for longer? How where explain to me simple versus complex. Yeah. So it is it's whether or not it's processed is a kind of a good way to look at it. I even break it down to as a complex carb still has its natural fiber in it, whereas a simple carb is stripped of the fiber or it doesn't have any inherent fiber. So brown rice is, yes, the carbohydrate component of that grain of rice, but it also still has the fiber in it. White mm -hmm. rice is taking the fiber shell off of that and just including like the inner component. Same thing with like an apple or an orange. It's when you're eat, chewing an apple or an orange, you've got the skin on the apple, you've got that kind of like inner membrane of an orange, that's the fiber part of the orange or the apple. You turn that into juice, and you remove that skin, or you remove that inner membrane, and that becomes a simple carb. So the difference really is like, is there fiber or is the fiber taken away from it? That's awesome. I think when so I want to talk for a second about fiber because I feel like fiber is like this villain of runners. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like it is like it is it is like a hamburglar, right? Like it's only there to cause chaos. And so when we think about fiber, right? Everybody goes, "Oh, we got to we got to avoid fiber, especially before a race because we get a lot of fiber and it's going to upset the tummy and then it's, you know, then you're taking five bathroom breaks in your half marathon and it's no fun." Can we still eat something like brown rice or a more complex carb before we go run? And is that safe? It so depends on the person. Some people, they're like, okay. yeah, I'm totally good. I can eat a brown rice bowl two hours before I go and run and I'm good, even an hour before. Some people are, they, you know, whether it's they've kind of in, unintentionally trained their body to tolerate that over the years, or that's just automatically how they are then that's how they are. Other people are like, there's no way, you know, I would be like, yeah, having to use the bathroom five times throughout my half marathon or whatever it is. It's yeah. just, it's so individual. Yeah. I, I, and I want to talk about gut training. We're going to get there. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk one last thing. One of the big things that I learned, and again, what I hear and what I learn versus what's real is when we ask these questions on a podcast, one of the big things that's always been told to me is that be conscious of how much fat 
and how much protein you eat prior to going out for a run, say in the 60 to 90 minutes prior, yeah. because fat and protein require more blood demand to the gut. And especially if you're going to go and work out and you're going to work out over threshold, the first place that we pull blood from when we have put a demand like running is our gut. And that can cause a lot of stomach distress. So it one, is that correct? Or is that found founded loosely in, in incorrectness? No, that's correct. And, an, and another maybe like more understandable way to think about it is that of all the macronutrients, protein and fat, and actually fiber, those all digest relatively slowly, as opposed to carbohydrate. So if you're thinking about fueling before an effort, you want to be mindful of not eating too much protein or fat or fiber, because that is more likely that it's just going to sit in your gut for longer as opposed to carbohydrate, which is going to go through your gut, turn into, you know, increasing your blood sugar and then be used for fuel pretty quickly. So that's, that's where that all comes from is that, okay, you know, like, how can we set you up so that what you're eating an hour or so before your effort is not still sitting in your gut and needing digestion when you start exercising, especially above lactate threshold, because that's when oxygen just isn't available to be digesting that food. You need oxygen to digest fats and proteins. And if it's being shunted to your working muscles, it's not going to prioritize digestion anymore. And that's when it's just going to be like, oh, my stomach feels like I have a brick in it and I can't get rid of it. Yeah. And that's exactly why gels and things are by majority carbohydrate because they require just a little bit of water and sometimes no water um, to to give you that nice little, little bump of carbohydrates and, and keep your glycogen stores up. Yep. I want to ask, because this, this is a fun way for me to ask 20 questions about, did I, have I been telling everybody this wrong for years? Um, is, and this, this actually comes from someone that I trust in the world of nutrition. Um, in, in speaking with him, you know, we, he would always make fun of for better or worse. <laughs> He'd be at the start line of a race and he would watch people take a gel, you know, in the final, like five minutes before a race. And he's like, I don't understand why everybody thinks they got to take a gel before this. Like you spent the time to, you know, build up your glycogen before a race and you actually are hurting yourself by skyrocketing your blood glucose right at the start of a race, instead of letting your body naturally go through the process of breaking down and you're giving your body a bad signal is basically what he was explaining to me. Hmm. And I kind of see it, but where do you fall in the world of the pre-race gel? Gosh, I mean, again, it always depends on the person. If someone has done that (laughs) and it's, you know, like if it's worked for them and if they're like, yes, I feel amazing, whether it's a mental thing or an actual like physical response, then I would say for sure, keep doing it. But that gel does not replace you fueling well and having a good mm. breakfast leading up to that race. It's not going to be like a band-aid solution that's going to really give you any benefit. You've got to be really intentional before you get to that start line and that is going to set you up a lot better than any type of gel 5 minutes before you get on the start line and before you race. There's two types of ways that we utilize carbohydrate for fuel. It's one is like 
One of them is called exercise-induced glucose uptake, meaning that when you start exercising, your body starts to prefer to use insulin to carry your carbohydrates to your working muscles. Because when you're just sitting around and you're eating carbs, the other method is that insulin acts equally on muscle cells and fat cells. So we can eat carbohydrates when we're sitting around, even the morning of a race. And before we get exercising, it's going to act on both. And it takes about an hour and a half for insulin to kick into gear and start moving that carbohydrate to your muscles or your fat cells. And then when you start exercising, you use this exercise induced glucose uptake, which it can kind of, it can jump ahead of that one and a half hour time frame. So you can eat, theoretically, you can eat carb and start exercising and you don't have to wait an hour and a half for your insulin to kick into gear and start using that glucose and bringing it to your muscles to be used for fuel. So what people are doing when they're having those gels is they're more so using that like exercise induced glucose uptake system instead of waiting for the snack or the meal that they had an hour and a half, two hours before their effort to kick in. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Okay. I do like that. Yeah. So it's like, and that still can take a little bit of time depending on the person. Like some people it'll kick in right away. Some people it might take 15 minutes or so. So I see what your friend is saying there where it's like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it might help, but it's definitely not like us. It's, it's not going to be a bandaid for anything. Like if you've not done well leading up to that. And I have to take a moment here because I have to actually thank you because through your, uh, your post and things like that for my half marathon, I did this February. I did give you a shout out. Um, I gave myself a, a trial of one here and I was like, you know, I'm going to put in a few more calories than I usually do pre-race. And for me, um, if I had like, you know, an oatmeal packet made with a coffee maker the morning of like, that was good fueling for me. That was a good, I did, I, was, I did a good job <laughs> and you no, know, that, that I come to realize didn't have enough in it. Um, and so before I raced a half about 90 minutes, two hours before, um, one of my favorite things are the mush oats. You can get them at Whole Foods. They're like the little like yogurt cup sized yeah. overnight oats. They're delicious. I had two of those and a banana um, before I went out to race. This is about two hours before when I was just kind of, you know, had my hot shower, had some breakfast and kind of just milling around before the race start. And I got there and I was like, wow, actually like my stomach feels, it was right in that nice place of I'm not overly full. And I think that's really important is making sure the volume of food is right before you race. But I also don't have that feeling of like my stomach feels like a contracted balloon and I haven't had enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I liked that feeling because it told me, well, I'm not going to have to use the bathroom in the race because my, my stomach, like my stomach is quote unquote empty, even though I've had breakfast. And I would always find that about 16, 18 miles into a race, I would kind of hit that lull because I maybe didn't fuel enough to start with. And so one, thank you uh, for encouraging that because I feel like I found a, a good, at least a good refresher on how to, how to fuel for a longer effort, but also wanted to talk a little bit about what is important 
for athletes that are going to race at least an hour and a half to kind of that 90 minute to three hours. And we're talking a race level effort, not just a workout where, what do you find or prioritize in kind of creating a, a meal? And again, we are individuals, so bananas and oatmeal may not work for everybody, but what are you looking for when, if you could design the perfect pre-race meal, 90 minutes to two hours out? Yeah. So I'm still going to get a little bit of protein. It's not going to be only carbohydrate because if it were only carbohydrate, my blood sugar would spike and then it would crash. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that that, that meal and the carbohydrate in that meal is sort of like this long lasting fuel Mm -hmm. that instead of just spiking and crashing, it's more like rolling hills and valleys. So I'm combining a little bit of protein with the carbohydrate, but I'm not having like, you know, a piece of chicken breast with 40 grams of of protein in it, because that would be too much protein. So this, this, let's, let's compare this to like a standard meal. If I were eating dinner one night or breakfast before I go and set up my desk for the next four hours to work, I'd be like, all right, I want some really good protein. I want some complex carb. I want some plants and I want some healthy fat, fruits or vegetables and healthy fat. For pre-race, I would say, okay, I am going to skimp on the protein a little bit. I'm going to do about half a serving of that. And I'm going to do a little bit more carbohydrate. And yeah, a little bit of healthy fat is fine. I don't necessarily need to add any intentional, like additional healthy fat in like olive oil or butter or something like that. And then for sure, some plants is great. It doesn't need to be a ton of roughage with fiber, but it could be, you know, like some sweet potato or some berries or some banana. So going back to that whole rice thing that we love, perfect pre-race meal would be a bowl of white rice with one egg on it instead of two eggs and white rice instead of brown rice. And hey, maybe a couple slices of avocado and maybe, you know, like a, a little bit of sweet potato, some like roasted sweet potato. And that would be a perfect pre-race breakfast. I like that a lot. I think that is, that actually really sounds good. Um, yeah. but, uh, when we think about that too, right, I'll compare it to the other side. So, you know, when I had the mush, I made sure that it had nuts in it because I'm like, Oh, this has got a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein, Yeah, right. It does have some, some nuts in there. Um, and I had two servings of it because I, I, I wanted a good bit of food and then right. Banana, uh, was mm-hmm. kind of my, my piece there. And so that's where I feel like I was like, Hey, I feel like I've, I've kind of hit the, you know, the, the right combination of buttons here to, to get me to the race, start feeling good. And I think one of the big things that I found important that I think was hard habit for me to break was kind of that avoidance of fat at times because fat is it's, it's satiating, right? It feels when we have a lot of fat, it's like, well, you want to go take a nap, but a little bit of fat, right? Whether it's avocado or nuts, it seems like those in small doses actually help us not feel as hungry and do have a place in a runner's, not just plate, but also a pre-race plate and isn't going to make you feel heavy as long as it's in the right amounts, maybe like a half serving. Does that sound about right? Like you said, maybe half an avocado or a quarter. Yeah, depending on the person and kind of like their baseline calorie needs. But yeah, like half or a quarter of an, I would say probably for typically for most people, like a quarter of an avocado 
like a medium sized avocado, you're still getting some healthy fat. You're, you're getting a little bit of fiber actually with avocados. Avocados are super high in fiber, but you're not overdoing it. So yeah, just like the protein fat slows down digestion of, yes, it's a slower digesting food in itself, but it also slows down the digestion of the carbohydrate that you eat with it. So by consuming the protein and the fat with that white rice and that sweet potato, the the blood sugar spike is less extreme and it gives you more consistent long-term like slower burning energy which is really what you need unless you're going out and you're doing it. you know like a short sprint interval session or a, sh- a short sprint like crit or something like that so if you are going to go out and do your tuesday or friday morning interval session which is the day that i prescribe for most mm-hmm. of my athletes I, there are, I get two schools of thought from people, coach, it's a a. 7am session. I'm going to have maybe a coffee before I go out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got other athletes that like, that's all I can get in. In a perfect world, I feel like I'd want my athletes to eat more. Um, somewhere on the internet recently, I saw that for athletes that do restrict for more than 12 hours, meaning you haven't had anything since the night before for longer than 12 hours, you actually are impairing your ability to recover afterwards. Cause it's almost a whiplash effect that you've, you've dug a bigger hole than what your workout has actually done. And so could this possibly be a PSA to tell people to eat breakfast before their interval session? A hundred percent. It absolutely can be. <laughs> yeah. So Gosh, the only time that I say that it's okay to not eat or just to have a cup of coffee before your early morning workout is if you're going out and you're doing something that's an hour or less and low intensity, like in any way, shape or form, nothing above lactate threshold. If you're going out and you're doing an interval session, you're going to be your primary source of fuel is going to be carbohydrate. When you're at those high intensities, it is carbohydrate. and if you've just been, you haven't eaten for 12 hours, you've been sleeping, then you don't have much carbohydrate and quick burning fuel on board. And I would say without a doubt that if you have something before you go out the door and you do that interval session, that's high carb, you're going to feel so, so much better than if you have a cup of coffee or nothing. And hey, you know, like this is a thing where you're not going to wake up at 4am to do your 630 workout just to sit there and have like a balanced breakfast or like that rice bowl and wait for it to digest, you know, like sleep is important too. But you can still eat 30 or 20 minutes before your effort. Just make it something that's really simple carbohydrate. Basically, at that point, you're thinking about, hey, what could I eat during the run that I can eat right now? You know, because mm. you're going to be running so soon that you you want to eat something that you know you can tolerate during running, and it's going to apply to 20 or 30 minutes before. So that's a perfect time to have a piece of banana bread, and then have a ba- more balanced breakfast after you finish the interval set, or have like half of a bagel with maybe a little bit of peanut butter on it, or a little bit of cream cheese on it. But be mindful of not going overboard with too much fat or too much protein. Keep it mostly carb focused. You know, and that was a really interesting thing I learned. I just got back from a trip in Italy 
And one of the things is uh, I learned a lot about the Italian breakfast. And the Italian breakfast is very often a very small single shot of espresso. Uh, and they'll often put just a little bit of sugar in it, right? Just to kind of cut down. Espresso can be a bit harsh <laughs> yeah. on the palate. Uh, but then the Italian breakfast, if you were, is a croissant or it is maybe it's got a little bit of jelly inside it or it's something that's small you know, maybe, maybe the size of an index card. And it's relatively speaking, a carbohydrate with more carbohydrates on it. It's got some jelly and other things on it. But what I found is that very often that for the runners, like that was, that's what they'd eat before. They'd have a little bit of caffeine and, you know, a croissant with a little jelly on it. And then like, boom, they could still go out and run on that. And it's like, okay, why, why are we not doing this? Why are we saying that we can only, you know, we have to either, you know, just have our coffee. Um, and so I will encourage people to uh, follow the uh, balanced Italian breakfast of one shot of espresso <laughs> and some simple carbs. Maybe not, maybe Yuri will tell me otherwise, but um, it seems like that was, and I'll, I'll attest, I did it and went for a run. I'm like, actually, I feel really good. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. And and the croissant is like, you've got a little bit of fat in there, right? Because croissants are basically flour and butter. So you guys are still getting a little bit of, you know, like that equivalent to a half of a bagel with a little bit of cream cheese or even a little bit of butter or peanut butter, you know? That's awesome. Hey, there's something to be said and for it was that. good. Yeah. Why it was not? really good. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to, I'll have to keep some cro croissants in the house for those uh, Tuesday, Friday workouts. Mm -hmm. So I think this brings us to actually one of the really fun things that I want to talk about because you and I got down, you know, kind of said, hey, what do we want to, what do we really want to dial in this episode? And one of the things that we landed on was talking about fueling strategies and how do we train the gut? Because I think there are people, again, that probably recoiled when I said shot of espresso and a croissant because like, there's no way I could eat that. How can people train their gut? And so let's start really simply. Do you have a couple of tools or strategies to help people gain a better understanding of something as simple as just eating breakfast before they run? Is it a habit or is it more of choosing the right fuel or both? It's both, but I would say, you know, like choosing the right fuel is definitely a game changer because what you eat, you know, before you go out and you do your three hour low intensity run because you're going to be out for three hours versus what you eat before your interval session on Tuesday morning is going to be very different because what your body can tolerate is going to be very different. But basically the whole premise here is like when you're exercising above lactate threshold, your body's preference for fuel is mostly carb. And when you're exercising below lactate threshold, you have a lot more room to tolerate small amounts of proteins and fats and fibers. So know that first of all, also know that just like, you train your cardiovascular and your muscular system to become a faster athlete and a stronger athlete and to work up from, you know, a 5k to a 10k to a 50k or whatever you're doing, you can also train your gut. So like you were saying, Andrew, like those people that are like, I could never eat that. 
it doesn't mean just because you've had one bad experience with it that you are never that it's like written off you know we mm. our gut is a hundred percent trainable i think the main thing there is understanding like what are my needs in this moment and then being able to apply it with various types of foods and experimenting and knowing that as an athlete like experimenting is really 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 important because what you are doing is not the same as what your friend is doing versus what your coach is doing or that person that's writing that nutrition blog out there for every single person to read. So understand that you are an individual and you have these multiple eating opportunities throughout the week when you're exercising to experiment. And that's really, really, really good opportunity to kind of like go out and try some things and see what works and what feels good. But know that just like one time doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to work in the future because you can train your gut but you've got to have that baseline to start with with knowing like okay what's my intensity you know what type of food can i generally tolerate or should i be tolerating at this intensity versus this intensity and then how long am i going to be out there for and sort of like mm -hmm. what what do i feel like eating you know like listen to your body too Absolutely. And I think that is such a hard voice for people to hear. It's a hard one for people to key into because we have a lot of hangups when it comes yeah. to what are we allowed to eat, right? That's a, first of all, is like, you've got to erase that whiteboard and kind of wipe it clean that if you've had a prior training cycle, what worked in one training cycle may give you a glimpse as to what works right? Mm -hmm. The same thing goes for training when I'm training an athlete. Um, but one of the things that I like to do to give athletes this opportunity is I like to do a specific endurance run. And this is where I'm going to have an athlete, you know, let's say we're training for a marathon. Let's do 10 miles in the middle of our long run at the end of the week, you know, right? We've had a whole week of working out and maybe we're going to do 10 miles somewhere in the neighborhood of our marathon pace. If we're at altitude, it's a little different, but let's, this is a, that's a pretty darn hard workout, right? Yeah. Well, we've got to be able to make sure that our nutrition can keep up with the demands that we're putting on our body. And so, you know, that's where we have to be able to test those things. And with testing comes the opportunity that there may be failure, mm -hmm. but I think people are sometimes unwilling to fail because that workout will then not go well. And so yeah. we get trapped in this kind of snake eating itself because I'm not going to fuel as well as I need to because I'm afraid to use this new fuel. This workout needs to go well because it's going to have an impact on my outcome. It's like, oh my goodness. But what if we found something that worked really well? And you have to be open to the idea that um, training your gut may be uncomfortable um, and trying new fuels are, it could open a whole new door of fitness and capability. Mm -hmm. It can also show you what doors to not open, uh, when it comes to fuels that you can use. So if you were to give somebody an idea of, for say this 10 mile specific endurance run, um, and maybe there's someone that really struggles with solid food, would you encourage someone to stick with fluid-based fuels or would you encourage them to try and use uh, more, more natural whole foods? Um, where does that fit in the things? Mm. I know that was kind of a side, a side quest. No, that's totally fair. Is there, is it depends on what they, you know, like, gosh, I mean, it's one of those things where like, you don't, if it's working for them, you don't want to mess with things that are working, but at the same time, like, 
can you be better? Can you feel better? Can you perform better? Like, what is your full potential here? And that's kind of an exciting thing. And like, if you've got more potential here, then why stick with what you're doing right now and never know and never try and regret not trying, you know? So for people like that who are like, man, I just I just do like liquid calories all the time because I don't want to get into the solid food thing because there's so many variables there. What I typically do is I sort of ease them into it. I'm like, okay, like, can you think of anything that you would be excited about eating when you're five miles in? And let's do half your calories coming from liquid calories and then take a few bites of whatever that is and let's get half your calories coming from food because it's totally okay to do a combination of both. You know, it might help it Mm -hmm. for as you get into longer efforts, especially like tends to be that with liquid calories as people get into longer efforts, it's more likely that their gut or their taste buds are going to get super tired of that. And that's going to lead to gut rot or flavor fatigue. So in order to avoid that, like, yeah, we can still use the liquid calories as a tool, but can we sprinkle in some whole foods that you are chewing and Mm -hmm. addressing different digestive tracts and all that kind of stuff and, and really splitting up the monotony of liquid the whole time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think, you know, when I think of my athletes that are racing a hundred plus miles, like mm-hmm. you're going to want to chew, you're oh, going to want to yeah. chew food. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to want to have food going in your stomach. And, you know, I, I tell people, especially when they're in a hundred mile race, like do eat with your eyes, you know, mm-hmm. know what you can eat. But when you come into an aid station and if you see the, the peanut M&Ms, you're like, God, those look really good. Eat the peanut M&Ms people go like it. go eat the peanut M&Ms. One, you're racing. Yeah. Who cares? But two, like, that's also like, you're going to feel better. You're going to be satiated by, by, by putting that in and heck, maybe some potato chips. If you're like, man, I could really go for something salty. Like use your eyes. Your eyes are going to tell you a lot. I found when, when coaching people through those first couple hundreds, like got to eat with your eyes. Like you may have had this perfect race plan where you're 250 calories an hour and you've got it in these nice little Ziploc bags and <laughs> your crew's handing in, you just look over and you're like, man, I could really go for some ruffles. They've got ridges and I want to chew them. Right. And yeah. sometimes that's the better choice. Yep. Absolutely. It, Cause your eyes are your gut, you know, like, and it's really, really important in that place to, to pay attention to what your gut and your body is telling you rather than being like, I have to follow this plan. I have to keep drinking this liquid calorie. And like, I, I am like getting nauseous thinking about it. Cause obviously that's not going to work. Absolutely. And I think, <laughs> I think one of the hard things is, is that there's a lot, like one of the studies that we talked about is that, you know, kind of more of an extreme approach. Like I would say 150 to 200 calories an hour is a pretty normal, like marathonish you know, kind of goal I set for my athletes. Like that would be like a gel and a half to two gels every hour. Mm -hmm. Right. And we both just looked at a study that's like, Hey, 450, let's go ahead and double that. And maybe a little bit more. And when would you recommend that somebody consider an approach like that? Like that's a pretty extreme look at things. And we've, we, we can see extremes on both ends. We can see people that only, you know, they don't eat during a hundred mile race because they're fat adapted. Please don't do that. Please, (laughs) please eat during your race. But then on the other side of things is 450 calories an hour. Like that is a lot. And we talked about training the gut. When do you 
encourage people to move beyond kind of that, again, those boundaries of like, hey, 150 to 200 calories an hour is a really safe recommendation for people. When would you encourage somebody? Is that when they're falling on their face nutritionally and it's just not enough? Mm-hmm. Or is there is there a performance benefit to be gained by getting in more calories per hour? Is the big question. Yeah. Okay. So first, what I would say is figuring out, you know, like where you want to start with that 150 to 200 calorie range is I'm always thinking about where is the person right now? Because if they come Mm -hmm. to me and they have zero nutrition strategy and they're maybe, you know, like eating here and there, but they don't really eat that much. And maybe they eat like a couple hundred calories throughout a four hour effort. And that's about it. And they're severely under fueling. Then I'm not going to say to them, okay, let's eat 200 calories per hour. Because 200 calories is sort of like the goal that I aim for for most people as a baseline. Because they're not going to be able to go out tomorrow and start eating 200 calories per hour if they've been eating 200 calories every four hours for the last four years. Their body is just going to be like, what the heck is happening right now? So Mm -hmm. it's all about building up to that. And I will say that the general guideline is to replace 40 to 50% of the calories that you are burning per hour with food. So for these athletes that are consuming 400, 450 calories per hour, it's oftentimes those high level athletes that are doing those high level activities and working really, really hard and burning 700 to 800 calories per hour, you know, even more than that, like the Tour de France riders, like they need that many calories per hour. And that's totally fair. But the, the main thing that I want to avoid is people looking at this and being like, oh, that's how many calories I need per hour. I should be aiming for 400 calories per hour. I'm going to go out and do that this week because then <laughs> chances are that's not going to work well for anybody. So it's this like figuring out, getting a good idea of kind of how many calories you're burning per hour. Yes, like that's the numbers and the metrics of it. And then choosing a starting point, which like you said, like 150 to 200 calories is a great place to start. And then for your harder efforts where you know you're burning like your high end of calories per hour, for sure, you can start to try like maybe you you increase typically by like about 50 to calories per hour for, you know, like each consecutive or a few chunks of consecutive efforts. And your body will do a really, really good job of telling you whether or not it needs or can tolerate those calorie increases as you go you've got to pay attention to what your body's telling you. You can't force feed yourself and expect your performance just to improve automatically, you know? So it's this thing of, yeah, like going back to training the gut for sure, but also just having these like incremental changes and then understanding, okay, you know, like maybe this food didn't work out, but I should try a combination of liquid calories and some real food calories. Maybe that might be better. I'm guessing with these athletes that are doing this four to 450 calories per hour, they are doing a combination of liquid calories and food calories. Absolutely. And that brings me to my last point around, I guess, nutrition for performance. So when we think about like a single gel, that's a hundred calories in one and a half ounces, you've Mm -hmm. got like cliff blocks and things like that. When it comes to delivering fuel to the body, right? This is kind of the gulp versus sip methodology. Should we look at and say, wow, I should have this whole thing all at once, right? As I'm coming into the aid station, Mm -hmm. I want to just zip down this gel and then I'm going to get my water at the aid station. And then I'm not going to take anything 
for another three and a half miles if I'm moving at a pretty good clip? Or is it better off that I like have a little bit of this and then a little bit more, a little bit more? Is this a process of experimentation? What have you found in your journey as nutritionist, a dietitian? Yeah. What has worked well? This is a really good question. I love answering this because it's so relevant for really everyone. The way that I look at fueling is that I don't want people to get stuck in this of like, okay, I need to eat 200 calories per hour. For example, I'm at every hour, I'm going to eat a 200 calorie bar or two gels or whatever it is. Instead, what is more effective for everyone, really, everyone that I know of at this point, is to slow drip that fuel throughout the hour. Same goes for your hydration. But what that looks like really is taking like a few swigs or a few bites every 15 minutes or so. And then by the end of the two, by the end of the hour, you've gotten 200 calories in. And the reason for this is because it gives you more consistent energy throughout the hours instead of you having a big bolus of 200 calories and getting a good energy spike. And then throughout the rest of the hour, just declining in energy and then getting a big bolus and having an energy spike and then declining. Yeah. Like we want to give you more consistency, especially for the longer you're out there. And you do that by slow dripping your fuel. Exactly. I've always considered this, like when discussing this with athletes who are like, okay, I'm just going to zip down two gels every six and a half miles. And you're like, you're going to ride a roller coaster, man. You're yeah. going to go tick, 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 tick. And then tick, 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 tick. And then you're falling down. And so I, that's where for me, like my fueling strategy for that half was like, I'm going to take two cliff blocks, you know, every like three K yeah. and that worked really well for me because I just felt super, I didn't have like a, a really high point in the race. I didn't have a really low point in the race. I just was like, it was just one of those races that went super smoothly for me. And I feel like a, in, in big part to having a nutrition strategy that, that worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, all things that I have learned through your social media channels. So uh, thank you again for that. Absolutely. Very effective. That is what social media <laughs> should be for is teaching and learning. Yeah. Um, I wanted to give us a chance since we've, we've kind of crested that hour mark here. And I hope that this has been as insightful for our listeners as it has been for me. Cause I got to ask all the questions I wanted to ask. <laughs> um, but I wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit more about inner wild and talk a little bit more about how you do this. Because again, you know, you take a different approach to nutrition in that someone's not going to just be able to call Yuri up and be like, all right, Yuri, I'm struggling. I can't figure this out. My, I'm just, I'm stuck. They can definitely come to you if they're stuck, but they shouldn't expect that the outcome, if I have this correct, is going to be, all right, here's your plan. And I'll talk to you in a month. Yeah. See you later. Here you go. Can you explain to people a little bit about your programs and what they can expect and what it all looks like? And if you have one coming up to share the information all about that, please. Okay. Yes. So I, yeah, I don't like people cannot come to me and say, Hey, can I do a 60 minute session with you? Or can you give me a plan? Because number one, (laughs) life doesn't go to plan. So plans don't work. Number two we're not going to accomplish what we need to accomplish to change your life in 60 minutes. We need to work together really closely for eight weeks. That's the duration of my program. And you get text message access from me. We do Zoom sessions. We have 
all sorts of like meal samples, recipes that we create for you based on what you have in your kitchen, what your food preferences are. If you're vegetarian, if you're vegan, if what if you're eating meat out of like, you know, the elk in your freezer or whatever it is. So my goal there is to really get to know you really well over this extended period of time so that then we can create a nutrition strategy that is literally meant for you and only you. Because that's when we change your life instead of changing you for eight weeks and then having you or for, you know, two weeks of some nutrition program and then having you go back to what you were doing before. Because that's not serving anyone, you know, like, and the reason I built this program this way is because I was finding that, honestly, I used to have this nutrition program that was a group program and it was, you know, like kind of self-paced and I would do some Q&A sessions. People would come here and there, but it wasn't one-on-one. And it didn't provide things like that text message support where you have the opportunity to ask me questions whenever they come up instead of having to remember them just for Zoom sessions. I used to do these things, but I was just, I didn't have as much control over my clients' results as I would like to. And yeah, I would change some people's lives, but I wasn't changing everyone's lives. So now what I do is with this program, if I invite you to my program, we're going to change your life. And the you have to feel 100% confident about that. And I have to feel 100% confident about that. It's as much as like, am I a good fit for you as are you a good fit for me? So that's really what my whole Feel Your Potential program is. And I have openings pretty much all the time. It's rolling enrollment. What I do is I offer a free discovery call for people to make sure that you're a good fit for me and that, that I'm a good fit for you. That's something that's available anytime. So there's a link in my bio on Instagram for an application for those discovery calls. So anyone that's listening, feel free to check that out or send me a message on Instagram and tell me what you have going on and I'll tell you if it's a good idea. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about this because uh, you, you've told me uh, kind of some of the things that you've done there and I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see also what you, what you can do with it uh, because I've had a chance to peruse uh, the Inner Wild Nutrition website. You've got some amazing reviews. So, um, and then just listening to you today, you're someone that I definitely subscribe to. So, I'm really, really excited um, that our listeners finally get to hear all about you and the work that you do. Um, because, as far as anything else that you would like to share, any new goings on uh, for you? Ooh, new goings on. Uh, I'm coaching mountain bike skills clinics this summer. I took last summer off because. I had a baby last summer, so that's been really fun to get back into. And exciting things that are happening in my world is that I'm actually going to the Tilcoltons in BC in Canada in the end of August to go and do a hut-to-hut trip on my mountain bike with some friends. And that's kind of the most exciting thing that's on my radar right now. So just fun So the big question is, what are you most looking forward to eating on that hut trip? Oh, my gosh. If I, I mean, we get food at every single hut we stop at. So I think it's going to be some of those kind of like Italian inspired breakfasts and things like that. There we go. You know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if I bake some cookies or something to bring with me in my bag and, and have those for the crew throughout the week, because it's always good to have those backups. So definitely some cookies and whatever else comes up in terms of real food that I can turn into ride food, because that's always always going to be a good bet. 
Oh, I like that. Real food turned into ride food. I think, yes. I think you've got yourself a, a new hashtag there. Um, <laughs> Yuri, thank you so much for coming on today. I think we'll actually be able to get this episode out. We'll have to like sit around for a minute afterward, make sure everything downloads and we're good. But thank you again so much for coming on, sharing uh, with all of us uh, some great insights into the world of nutrition for performance. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.